Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, we welcome back to the show Myron Stein, the president of Stein Seed Company. Welcome to the show, Myron. Hello, David. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, as I'm sure all of our listeners are aware, one of Myron's favorite things to do is to get out in the country and visit with growers all over to see how Stein products are working on their farms. So recently, Myron sat down with Stein grower Matt Levitt of Minot, North Dakota-based Levitt Farms. Matt and Myron had an interesting conversation about corn production in northwest North Dakota, which is an area that you don't typically see a lot of corn grown. But with the right cropping practices and proper hybrid selection, Matt and his family have found a way to turn 80 bushel corn into 200-plus bushel corn. From a fertility plan that includes a lot of sulfur to picking the very best genetics, we look forward to hearing all about Levitt Farms. So let's get started. So we're here today in Northwest North Dakota, around just north of Minot, North Dakota, at Levitt Farms with Matt Levitt. And uh, Matt has a number of different crops on this farm. We're going to talk about some of those, but then we're going to focus on corn production. And corn production here in Northwest North Dakota isn't, isn't huge. It's, there, there are not a lot of farmers doing that. There's a lot of wheat and soybeans grown. Uh, but this farm does quite a bit with corn, and we're going to talk to Matt and understand what he does with corn to make it so successful. So Matt, so on this farm you have five different crops. What are they? And tell us a little bit about them. Corn, soybeans, wheat, canola. We'll probably put some barley into the equation, some peas. But corn, beans, and canola, and wheat are the main, the main crops, the staple crops that we raise. And at this point, you want about half of your farm in corn. And I know this year that didn't happen, but that's, right. that's, your, that's your plan, right? That's my goal, okay. is to usually have around half. And yep. it isn't this year because of some different things. But. Right. And, and today we want to talk about some, some challenges you have on growing corn, because corn's not really, um, a lot of growers in this geography don't grow corn. Right. They do wheat and soybeans or you know, something else. Uh, but you've been quite successful with it. We have. That's very interesting, and it'd be good to talk about that and understand what you've done. Um, and I understand when you first started with corn, your yields were relatively low, and you've, you've, you've grown those substantially. Yeah, there was, there was only one person in the game at that time on shorter maturity corn, and yeah, our, our yields were 70, 80 bushel, and corn was... 250 and and it just it just didn't work. We stepped out of the corn game for a while too. I mean we just it just was not it wasn't it wasn't in our it wasn't in our game to be raising corn. As soon as some of these new varieties started coming in, um, the college in North Dakota puts out yield yield numbers and, and test trials and so all of a sudden we started seeing corn corn yields started coming rapidly started increasing. And you could see that the seed genetics were all starting to push for more acres to the north. And, 
you know, you saw that in South Dakota, especially where it came through South Dakota and started pushing north up up into this area, where it was going to work. And we started raising a few. We we can look at the dryer in the uh, other yard that we were using at the time. I think it was at that time. I think it was probably about a 300 to 400 bushel an hour dryer system, and that was. The biggest challenge we had was getting a variety that was going to yield for us in a maturity date that was going to work and be able to dry down, or dry down and get test weight. Sure. And so today, a big thing you do is you try to stretch your maturity as long as possible, but that, we do. that obviously creates a, a number of challenges in your grain handling system. You have a new grain handling system yep. with a fantastic dryer set up, and that enables you to have that flexibility. I'm we assuming. Do. We, uh, I actually pieced a lot of that new system together just because it's, it, was a, it was a big step to increase the size of our, our uh, grain handling system. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's millions of dollars to invest into this system. And to stomach that, it, 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 it was just, it was hard. At that time, we had some three, four dollar corn too. So hmm. I kept picking up pieces as we went along um, and I, to get it all put together. And then I, a friend of mine owns a company in Fargo, and he he was able to help me put the whole system together, and that was able to make us yes stretch out to an 85-day corn here, and yeah. uh, that was that was it, it made you nervous. I mean, to go to an 85-day up up in this area, and it 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 meant that you were probably going to put a 82-day or a 78-day close in case you had to blend it off, but. All of a sudden, we started realizing we could push those maturities up to, you know, in 82 days, easy here, and, and manageable, and and as long as we can get it in. But we have to watch our dates. That's our biggest challenge: is is cold soil temperatures and getting that crop in the ground. So we need we need to have that we need to have good vigor in that corn to make that stuff get out of the ground, even with cold soil temps. You're uh, 15, 20 miles from the Canadian border. We are. And so do you have, you have springs where you may plant at 40, 45 degrees for I try, I try to hit 50, but then it'll turn around and go the other direction and then that corn seed's gonna sit in the ground on me. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably go 47, 48 degrees and we'll start, we'll, we'll go. And the, all of a sudden when that date hits, it's not, we know that the temperatures are gonna increase and I look ahead, but there was one, one year I remember where it, it stayed cold and it just sat there and sat there and sat there. And when it came out of the ground, we actually had great corn that year. And it was against all the rules. I mean, every, everything was against, against it. We want to get that corn out of the ground. We, want, we don't want 10% to come out, 10% to come out. We want 90%, 100% to come out of the ground at the same time since plants aren't competing against each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for getting yield, you need those, those corn plants out of the ground all together. The plants coming right together, mm-hmm. and that's that's the most important thing you can have raising corn here. So you're 30 inch rows. Yep. And you do um, a lot of your fertility up front in the fall. I do. Um, a lot of sulfur. A lot of sulfur. Maybe talk about that some. Yeah, it seems like the more sulfur we push to this crop, the more vigor we get out of the out of the plant, and the more nutrients that we're unlocking with with those higher rates of sulfur going down with with those plants, and uh, I don't think there's ever a negative to push more and more sulfur to your ground. Uh, we kind of learned when we were raising canola to put more sulfur down, and our wheat our wheat yields the next year were we were harvesting crops earlier, 
with the, the better plant vigor, and we were, we were also getting better yields. Mm. And it was all going hand in hand. And the same thing with corn. The faster we can, the more, more sulfur we can push to this corn, the faster we're getting that corn plant to maturity. And the, uh, the more nutrients it seems like it's grabbing with uh, being able to bring down some of our pH levels with, that, with, the, uh, with the sulfur too. On populations, you're high 20s, mid 30s? Yeah. In, in that range? Yeah, we'll, we'll step all the way down to 25 to, to 32. Is, is in, But most of the time, we're right around that 30 to 32 range. Okay. And on a typical year, how much will you lose on stand, you know, just for the fact that you're pushing the Yeah, it matters. It really matters. I mean, I'm, that's one thing we haven't nailed down to perfection is trying to get that stand perfect. But we're always, I always have a stand... If I'm putting down 30, I don't know what the percentage would be. If I'm always getting 30, I'm always in that 27 to 28 range. <laughs> you know, I've seen a bad example down to 22,000, but you know, my yield was still still good with a little bit of flex on that ear and mm-hmm. it made up for it. So yeah, you, you, just, you just don't like seeing a bad stand. It just it kind of wrecks your, wrecks your day when you get in the sprayer and you, you get going <laughs> and you look and that stand isn't there, you know? So the, yeah, the... The more cold germ we can test on this stuff, the more, you know, to get that plant coming out at the same time, the more, the more vigor we have in that plant, that's, that's one of the most important things that I'm looking for, mm-hmm. for sure. And you do, so you, you obviously do, do a bunch of nitrogen in the fall. We do. And your- If time allows. Your objective is like, how many pounds would you like annually? Do, do you want 140 to 160? You know, I'm, I'm looking at soil tests right now and nitrogen, just looking at nitrogen number right now, I, I need to have down about 100 and, 150 pounds of actual down right now. And so we'll put that down because I never like to gamble in, in that after that crops in the ground that we're going to get that second on if we get excessive moisture here mm-hmm. with all of our prairie pothole region the the low spots it it can be challenging to try to get it on later and you're wrecking a lot of crop trying to get it in there but if it allows um we we go back in and we put about 70 to 75 pounds of more nitrogen top dressed onto that crop mm-hmm. and I've, I've had great results doing that with just urea right yeah just urea yeah. Yep. No, no sulfur at that time. No, no, no. You, you, try, you can't try. put much. That's 70, 75 pounds of, of product into there. So is that, you know, like 30, 35 pounds. But so it, it's, getting, it's, it's getting just a boost to that plant. And just like any of these crops we found, feeding that plant helps. You know, the more feeding we can do to that plant, it, it's, it's going to help. And the more available we, we also are running on both in, uh, with the plant or we're putting down 10 gallons of uh, 28% on both sides of the oh. seed on a two by two by two. And that's something that I, I haven't decided how much it helps, but this year we actually didn't even leave a test strip that we didn't do it on. We, we did the whole farm. Mm-hmm. So we definitely, that's one thing that we've, we've switched to. That we're, and that's a lot more labor intensive trying to get that 10 more gallons on. So you're putting on you're putting on your five gallons of 10340 or whatever product you're putting down. Then you're putting down another 10 gallons of uh, 28 on the on the side of that. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fertility management here that we're we're going after to try to keep these plants healthy and vigorous. You know, all the way through, all the way through, we want these plants growing fast and getting them to maturity. So once again, we get test weight. So you put your a bunch of nitrogen on in the fall. You do some in the spring. 
Yeah. Uh, about what, what plant stage, by the way? Do you know? We, we try to get it, get it probably in uh, like the four to five leaf stage. Okay. Yeah. Herbicide program. You know, weed control. Right. What, what has worked for you? What has not worked for you? You know, the A word works well up here still because it hasn't been used. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we're going to lose it, we lose it. But it, it's worked well for grass control for us. And uh, we just go with a Roundup Atrazine Dicamba program real early. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I never come back again. Oh. So that, that's been a very, when you can put that low of a dollar number into your chemical program and not go back, and that atrazine just does a lot of good things for all kinds of weeds for us. Mm-hmm. And that dicamba is coming in there. The only reason we're using that dicamba is just to come in, and it's a safe and dicamba, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever product you want mm-hmm. to use. But uh, we use that safe and dicamba at a, small, at a small plant size just to get that kosher dead. Mm-hmm. Our, our biggest weed problem, everyone talks about Palmer and everyone talks about everything, but what we have here is we have kochia. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you'll see it in our fields. I mean, there's fields that we don't get perfect control in. We're never, it's not always perfect because it's just all about just timing on that on it and, and weather conditions and the rain, rain at a certain time and hailstorm at a wrong time and less, you know, because it just, it just thrives and it, it germinates quickly. So yeah, we're, we're fighting that. We're fighting grasses, which are easy to kill. But usually we can get with good plant vigor, good, good growing conditions. We can get ahead of those weeds and we're good. I need to work on some of my programs on the, on the irrigation areas. I've, I've developed some, some grasses there that, boy, it's like you hit them twice and they just keep coming at you with that, mm. with that water. But it's like anything, you give it water and you give it heat and it's gonna grow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but it's all land where they spread manure over the years and you fight those problems too. So. You know, you're always trying to get your ground clean, and then the guy would spread manure for 20 years out there. There's a lot of lot of product to get rid of mm-hmm. in those fields, but uh, yeah. So that's it's a pretty simple program. I've been running that where heavier weed pressures in there. I'll go to a little bit different with a pre in there also, but yeah, generally that's been running really well for us. We hit a lot of times. I'll hit Roundup and and uh, on a burn down with. A burn down product like like Bandol if I'm being cheap again, mm-hmm. and just hit it hit it real hard, real little on those plants. I don't feel like I get resistance when I'm going after that stuff at little little plants. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when you start going bigger plants and keep hitting it with the same chemical chemical program, you get resistance. That's a problem we're having here. Kosha definitely in our drier years is is an issue. Just trying to get just to kill it. Mm. So. When I come through with my corn rotation, I come through really clean, and then I come back the next year with a crop and it's just clean again. So we've been putting a lot of canola back onto our corn ground also. So coming in with a corn corn canola or corn soybean rotation in there, it just comes back with a cleaner rotation for us a lot of times. And that's good, because even in the beans, you know, we raising Stein beans also, and enlist. And the enlist, this year we, we had a bad hailstorm. I talked about that. And then after the hailstorm, I didn't think the beans were going to come back. They came back and they, they, they didn't perform well, but Kosh came into them at that time. I should have just probably burned them all down. Mm-hmm. But the year prior, went out and burned them down with Liberty. Liberty works wonderful on, on Kosh. It just, you know, just burns it off. Mm-hmm. Came back with, uh, with enlist full rate, 
and everyone says 2,4-D will not do anything to your kochia, well, Enlist will completely smoke your kochia dead. And it was pretty big kochia too. I mean, by the time it was on some headlands that I had, there was maybe three inch kochia, and it just smoked it dead. And, and that was Enlist one? Yeah. Okay. And you, you had no, no glufosinate tank uh, mixed into no. that? Okay, wow. That's yeah. impressive. Glufosinate well, doesn't do a lot to kochia for us. Hmm. It may, you know, it's gonna kill a percentage of plants, but it might be 2%. Okay. I mean, we're, we're resistant. I mean, okay. maybe with increased high rates, but spring. Or, or, or you mean glyphosate? Glyphosate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good plan, but, but it looks like... This is one year plan. So you do it, you do it early. It. I mean, everything you do is early. We try to, yeah. And on the corn side, um, from what we hear from a lot of different producers, it's getting everything up front, trying not to do very much on the post side, on, yeah. you know, so you don't stress your corn crop. Fungicides, you do anything on fungicides at all here? Not really in the soybeans. We will, we will add, add in um, a little bit, but in our wheat programs, we've used a lot, of, a lot of fungicides and it's what's gotten us to the next level of wheat production. Okay. For sure. My father-in-law is always, always putting some on his beans in Illinois all the time and he's asking me mm -hmm. and he's giving me names of products that I've never heard of and he's like asking me if I can you get those product, products up there because boy, they work well and no one even knows what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> There is there 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 is some uh, you know and the insect problems and the and the uh, the problems that where beans have been raised for years and years aren't as prevalent here but they're they're coming it all comes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's nice though that you do have such a diverse number of crops right on your farm that, that that's going to help quite a bit yeah. so and the canola uh, it's not an option you just you just spray fungicide. And it pays. Okay. It seems like you can get four to five hundred pounds by by spraying. But no fungicide on corn. That's no. You know, because much of the Midwest, you you go into Illinois. You know, right. you just about have to put fungicide on corn to. Yeah, I should probably start trying more. Well, you know, it depends. But uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So so you have some interest in strip tillage. I do. You, the, you haven't been doing it, but the high yield group that I was part of for a little while, they they definitely those guys have all. They've all bought strip tillers. I've seen some wrecks. I've seen some, especially some spring applied wrecks where they, they dry out that seed bed in the furrow. So mm. everyone's working together here to, to figure out what, what not to do and what, what to do. But the fall, the fall strip tilling, plant health, you look at your neighbor's crop all the time and I have good plant health, he has good plant health. You look at the, the things that they're doing and just because you're driving by it every day and you always want to better yourself in any way possible, and we're in, we're in it to raise as many bushels as we can on everything. And I definitely can see on, on some of the neighbors' uh, strip tillage with fall applied nutrients to put those roots right into that, right into that P and K, and having that extra boost of P and K there. They're still going in and putting the P and K in the spring, but just to have that extra and kind of almost lay, layering in an extra layer to be building, building your, your, your levels and your ground. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I, I just, it doesn't seem like I can ever put enough P and K down to get ahead. It's like, it seems like the more that I put down, the more crop I raise and you know, you should be figuring, well, I should just keep putting more down, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you only have so much money in your checkbook too, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. do it. So, but that's, if we can start maybe getting some of that P and K down in, in the in the fall on this corn ground in our rotation, and just try to start building it. Especially if we get fertilizer levels down sometime, 
that's mm-hmm. best best place to rate money off, right? Yeah. Being yeah. in the ground. Well, if that's your if that's your weak link right now, and then you have you have a bunch of uh, other things stored up in the soil you can utilize. Probably doing that right. might might make sense. So Matt's gone from 80 bushel corn at the start of corn production here in Northwest North Dakota. Now he's way over 200 bushel, which is a big deal, and um, obviously doing a number of management techniques and strategies that are that have got him to that point. That's exciting to see. So Matt, tell us a little bit about the family farm here, and it's really cool because it's it's truly a hardcore family farm and right. a number of generations. So. So let's talk about that and how we have gotten to where we are today with this farm. My grandfather was was a farmer, and I don't even know what year that would have been. He lost the farm in the 30s, and everyone did. I mean, there wasn't anyone that was left here. It was it was it was a tough time through the depression, and then my uh, my grandmother's farm was down the road just a little ways, and our homestead quarters about a mile north of here. So it's all. Yeah, it's been here for, for a long time. It's been here for 120 years, even if it was failed or not at the time. But we, uh, my dad and I have continued. I came back, my dad came back from college. He started the farm, continuing farming with my, with my grandfather. And, and then I got done with college and I was already farming when I was 17 years old. I couldn't be in the farm program, but I was, I was farming. I was, I remember my first time, first time in the combine where I was alone, I think I was in the third grade, and the rule was you just had to shut the combine off if you got out. And so from that point, point I was free labor until, until I got a little older, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that's all I ever wanted to do. And yeah, then I, I, came, I came back after college and farmed all the way through college. I, I guess it, it was combined the whole time. My mind was already always back here. And then we just, we've been growing and you know, I never took over any of my dad's acres. He might have gave me a quarter or two, but then I, I've just, I was able to take on a couple farms with the help of my dad and just keep increasing. And I'd run South Custom Harvesting for a couple months in the, in the summer. I didn't get very many summers when I was a kid. I'd, I'd always go South Combining, which I enjoyed. And dad would come down there, we'd, we'd make, make some money, and I'd take that money and I'd directly put it right back into farmland. Mm. That's, that was my goal, was to buy more land, because I, I didn't see the next farm I was going to rent, but I, I could always see that there was a quarter here and a quarter there that you could you could buy, and that was probably the best decision I've ever made, other than my wife, you know. So. Oh sure. Right. So uh, today you're farming with your father. Yep. And my, and 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 Ashley. Ashley's an integral. My wife is an integral part of the farm also, and my mother Muriel. Okay. Yeah. So it's the four of you, but then then you have some children. You have some yep. children that that have interest in the farm. Yep. yep. Two boys and a girl. Two boys that hunt, and, and a girl that's probably going to run the farm. Maybe yeah, when she I, gets older. If she has anything, if she's anything like Ashley, she'll be running the farm. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, bl- I'm blessed with very, very highly intelligent, smart kids, and a smart wife, and a smart mom and dad, and just it just makes it just makes it easy. Birds of the feather flock together. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a wonderful story on the Levitt family farm on how they have kept. You know, it's. The farm was lost at one time, and it's back. It came back, and you got it back, and and here you are today, and you're growing it substantially. Your your father talked about you know everything that's around us today is a number of things that you've implemented on the farm. You know a number of the buildings, a number of the changes, and yep. he's excited to see all of those happen. And he's 
really enjoyed watching the farm grow and be what it is today. When I was in the eighth grade, my mother went to work in town uh, just just to help make more money. I mean, it was it was tough. I mean, sure. through the 90s, early 80s, I remember combining wheat in the early 80s, and it was like eight bushel wheat. And we'd bought a new combine, and that was in uh, yeah, 88. A yeah, 88, that's when it was, 89. Yeah, I think it was eight bushel wheat that year, and it was... It was horrible. I mean, it was like living through that and watching the stress of my dad and, and everything. It, it definitely made you want to go to college and get a degree and, and go and, you know, have options if you ever needed them because you never know when things could be that bad. I mean, now there's more stability and more, you know, it, it's gotten better. But I saw my mom go away and do that. And boy, she was successful. She ended up running a 500-person company and mm -hmm. in her small town and was able to gather all these people together for a telemarketing firm and, uh, and, and was very successful, helped our farm. I mm -hmm, mean, mm -hmm. uh, just she had, a, had a great, great, great job. And now my wife, she's a criminal defense attorney, works, gets up every single day and goes and, and she's in court. And, and when she gets done with court, she's at the farm with, with a meal helping my mom. Because my mom's 76, she's getting tired, but she's here every day. And uh, so yeah, it's it's, it's a full family farm to work it all together to make it work. And every, every man on the farm gets fed through harv not through springs working through harvest. They all get fed every single night just to keep everybody working, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's. Ralph stays up when everyone has food too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a well-fed group is, right. is a happy group, huh? Right. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of it. And we've just been able to pick up land. And one thing my dad had was a, a good base of land that was all close right here. We spread out a little bit over time now where we're, we're stretching 30 miles one way and 15 miles the other way. But I mean, it's a majority of our land's all in a five mile circle here, so. Matt, thank you very much for allowing us to come here today and listen to you about the intricacies of your farm and what you're doing here in this operation and how you've um, adopted corn production to your farm and done so well with it. We really appreciate your time and, and, and everything we've learned today. Yeah, it was great having you here. Thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. Well, that's a great interview, a very interesting story you had there. Myron, what, what are your takeaways from the time you spent there with Matt Levitt and his family up there in North Dakota? It was a great time there with Levitt Farms. They have a very interesting uh, story about the farm starting and Matt taking over and uh, the dynamics of the family farm, which I love. And then the fact they have five crops and corn is not a common crop in that geography. Recently, there's some people doing corn, but, but Levitt's do a really good job with it. And so I, I love to just listen to somebody talk about the challenges they had and what they did to overcome those challenges. And they're a perfect group to talk to because they're They've won. You know, they've, they've succeeded and done extremely well. They have 200 bushel corn. Yeah, doubling yields or double plus, that's, that's a pretty successful story, I would say. Well, that's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seedcast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. 
To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.